do a montage video um, to gauge just what our city is, um, who our city is, um, and uh, there. So these questions that we're dealing with over the next series came out of this video. Last week we talked about why is the Bible trustworthy? Like why should we trust the Bible? Um, this week we're talking about the exclusivity of Jesus Christ. So is Jesus God? Is Jesus the only way? Why is he the only way? And why does that even matter? Uh, and then we'll do evil and suffering the next week. Following week, we'll talk about the gay community and the church. Following week, we'll talk about uh, just is there meaning and purpose in life and what does that mean? So um, that's our series. So it's a very, it's, it's not like a normal series. Normally we preach the books in the Bible and we kind of go through a book. This is very, um, it's, it's more topical. So, uh, yeah, let's just, let's just jump right in. Uh, ben read two, two verses today, and we'll go, off of, we'll go off of both of these verses. One highlights, really, they both highlight the Christian faith. One is Jesus speaking out of John, the Gospel of John, and can come off very exclusivistic. Um, the other, talking about grace and love and fellowship, uh, can, can sound more inclusivistic. So that's the that's the Christian faith. That's what we're going to talk about this morning. Well, we know what I, what I don't think most people realize is we love exclusive things. We love exclusive things. So uh, check out this this uh, these shoes. These are Air Jordans. You guys know what Air Jordans are. I know one person knows Air Jordans. <laughs> these are. These are some of like the most iconic shoes. This revolutionized like sports and shoe history and, and everything. This pair right here uh, sold for sixty thousand dollars. This is this is a uh, number one, I believe. Is that right, son? This is this is the, the original. It's actually signed by by Michael Jordan, but it's exclusive, right? So it's sold for sixty grand. So I'm about a pair of shoes that they're not even gonna wear for sixty grand. To put them on like their mantle or in their library or something. Who knows? Um, you guys remember what this is? Let's, let's throw up. Uh, let's throw this look at. This is this tickle me Elmo. I don't know if you guys remember the tickle me tickle me Elmo craze. I don't know, ten years ago or something. People were dying over tickle me Elmos. I mean, one sold on eBay for a reported like seventeen thousand dollars. That's crazy. People in Canada got injured when people like rushed into Walmart to grab Tiffany Elmo's. They only made one million of these, and by right after Christmas, they all they all sold out. Over a annoying little thing that you took on the last. Yeah. We, that's pretty good. We actually have a Tiffany Elmo. Um, we have one that five years later we found in like a Goodwill or something. That someone just gave away. So these these things that were being being sold for seventeen thousand dollars or whatever, we got one for free, and it works. But like the hype's gone. But it was exclusive. Like people wanted it, so it was exclusive. Um, this is also a shout out to Simon. We were talking about Wu Tang. Um, <laughs> Simon is a man of many. He tastes. Yeah. So you guys know Wu Tang Clan? Yeah. They, they're putting out an album that they're, they're only selling one of these. They're making an album where they only have one. One copy in the whole world. And it's going to go for a reported 
millions of dollars. Forbes did a whole article on it. Um, but they have this whole philosophy of kind of like music is art and they want to like make it like an art piece, um, which is kind of cool actually. Um, but uh, Wu-Tang, I, I don't know how many of you guys listen to Wu-Tang anymore. <laughs> and they're putting out an album and they're going to sell one album for millions of dollars. Like, that's crazy, but it's exclusive. It's exclusive. Um, you ever go to a baseball game, go to a Jays game, when those foul balls go into the stands? Like, people fight over those. Last time we had a Jays game, these two guys were fighting over it. This guy was practically straining the other guy for the foul ball. It's, it's ridiculous. It's a, it's a baseball. You can get them at like, any entire sports stores and stuff. Um, but it's an exclusive piece. It got fouled off at that point, that time, off that bat, all those things. Um, how about nightclubs? Nightclubs are... Uh, nightclubs are our exclusive. Two years, 
Um, this is basically a world religions course with um, also kind of just on like religious religious sex and, and uh, not sex, like S E C T S. It sounds the same, I can't even say it. <laughs> and cults and, and things like that. So uh, the two the, the two things um, the main contention that always would come up in my courses uh, would always come up against exclusivism, and inevitably these are these assertions. These aren't arguments. So these are just assertions that people make. Um, they're always made. So um, one, all religions are equally valid and true. That's that's what uh, our society likes to say. Um, all religions are equally valid and true, and our religions lead to the same place and have essentially the same teachings. That would always come up. All religions are equally valid and true. And uh, the, the, second, the second piece, all religions lead to the same place and have essentially the same teachings. So let me give you, let me give you four things. Um, one, when people are talking about these statements, when they make these statements, um, most of these people aren't talking about all these religious sects and cults. They're talking about the, the four major world religions. They're talking about Christianity, Judaism, uh, Hinduism, and Islam, right? They're not talking about... Uh, yeah, I mean, there's actually some... Like the Branch Davidian. They're not talking about, like, David Koresh in Waco. You guys know what that is? Uh, okay. In, in Waco, like holding down the fort in the 90s with his, his cult behind him and then burning the building with everyone. They're not talking about that. They're not, where he says he's the Messiah, the kind of rest. They're not talking about, uh, there's this Chinese like cult in, in China right now. They, they claim to have a, one million adherents. Um, it's called the Church of the Almighty God. And they claim that uh, the Messiah has come in the form of a Chinese woman to read. Uh, the apocalypse on Earth. Wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's a uh, and they're like they're 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 killing people over it. Um, in McDonald's, actually, in the past few months, this lady wanted to give them their cell phones. They just beat her up. They just beat her to death and said that your cell phone was of the devil and you should give that to us. Um, they're on trial right now. So. Uh, this is like when they say these, make these statements, they're not talking about those religious cults, right? Um, they're mainly talking about these the, the big four here. Second, these these statements. Um, the second thing is none of the true adherents to any of those four major religions would agree with those statements. And when I say true adherents, I mean those who are. And I want to give you the wrong word, the wrong picture when I say devout. Um, but those who, who are actually living the Christian lifestyle or the, or the Muslim lifestyle, they wouldn't agree with this, with those statements. Um, and I say, make this distinction because there's, there's people who, like if, if you're in the American South, for instance, there's a lot of cultural Christians or nominal Christians who, they just claim Christianity even though they're not, they don't, they don't know anything about the Bible. In, in North Africa, we were last year, same thing, there's a lot of cultural Muslims that don't know anything about the Quran. They're just brought up in that culture and they live that way. You can go to India and see that with Hinduism. Um, 
you go to Islam today with Judaism. So, uh, so when I talk about this, none of the true adherents of any of these religions, none of those who are actually living out what the Quran says, what the Bible says, what the Torah says, what the Upanishads say, the Vedas, none of that, would they, would they really agree with these, these statements? Um, because, because inherently, these religions recognize that they're different. When you ask one, when you ask a Hindu, what is God, you're going to get a different answer when you ask a Jew, what is God, or who is God. Uh, when you ask, what is salvation, or how do you, how is salvation, how does salvation happen, how do you attain salvation, they will answer differently. These major basic questions. So, first thing is, most people aren't talking about these little offshoots. Second thing, none of the true adherents of these religions would actually agree with those two statements. Um, third thing is, Truth is exclusive by its very nature, okay? We don't like exclusivism, but truth, if it's true, inherently excludes, okay? Um, it just does that because it pronounces the other false. If I say that um, something is true, then that automatically makes this over here not true. Okay? So by its nature, truth is just, it's, it's exclusive. Um, even, even the Baha'i religion, the Baha'i faith, is, is an offshoot of one of the four major world religions. It, um, it, it would, these two statements, it would adhere to. That's like the basis of their faith. Um, but by the very nature, if those statements are true, they exclude. They exclude those who don't believe those statements. They exclude those of the four major religions who are true adherents, okay? So truth by its very nature um, is exclusive. Therefore, we can't get around this, that all religions by their very nature are exclusive. Okay? You follow the logic there? Um, if these religions are have, have truth in them, then they're by their very nature exclusive. Fourth thing. Since all truth, this is the last thing, since all truth is exclusive to some degree, therefore, you know, we all, we all, we all are exclusive in our beliefs to some degree. Okay, whether you want to admit that right now or not, we're all exclusive in our beliefs to some degree. Um, and if, if all truth is exclusive to some degree, then we should seek the truth that makes the most sense of the world around us. I talked about that last week a little bit. Just seek the truth that makes the most sense of the world around us. Okay? Because um, at the end of the day, we all have the same questions we're answering. Okay? Those questions are identity, they're, they're identity, meaning, I call, I call this the big four identity, meaning, morality, and destiny. We're trying to answer those questions, whether you do it consciously or subconsciously, cognizantly, like you pattern your life around it. Um, we're all, these are the big four questions that. Um, each religious system seeks to answer, and that really in your life, you're seeking answers to. Identity, uh, who am I? Meaning, what are we here for? Morality, how shall we live? Destiny, why does any of this matter? Those are your questions, okay? Um, and each of these systems seeks to answer these questions. And whether you like it or not, whether you, like I said, whether you consciously pattern your life around it or not, you're living your life out according to some answer to those questions. When it boils down to it, if you're in a room by yourself, alone and just thinking, 
these questions are going to pop up. And you'll, if you go down far enough, you'll realize, wow, I really do kind of my life around these, these big four. What, what, what I think my identity is, what I think the meaning to life is, what I think morality is, and what I think my destiny is. Okay? So, is Christianity, let's jump into Christianity now, is it an, an exclusive faith? Yeah, it is. We're not going to get around that. Just, we, we just talk about how all truth is exclusive. So we're going to say it's true and it's exclusive. Jesus says what Ben read, I'm the way, I'm the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is saying that this is exclusive. No one comes to God except through my person. Okay? So he's out and saying, yes, this, this is an exclusive faith. But is Christianity also an inclusive faith? Yes, it is. Okay? Um, Galatians 3.28 says, when we, are, when we are in Christ, and this passage is, is really about, uh, it's, it's all about uh, being in Christ. He says, when we're in Christ, there's neither Jew nor Greek. So Christ transcends culture, he abolishes culture. Um, he, he can work in and among all kinds of cultures. Um, there's neither slave nor free. He breaks down socioeconomic status. Um, and he also says there's neither male nor female. Like we're not we're not restricted by by our gender and things like that. He says in in Jesus, in Christ Jesus, all these things, he transcends all these things. Anyone can come to him, male, female, rich, poor, Jew, Greek, Chinese, South Asian, anybody. It's an inclusive faith. It's for it's for everybody. It's not culturally bound. Okay, so, and history confirms this, guys. History, you look back in history and you see that uh, Christianity is what changed, uh, uh, is what actually propelled women in society, is what abolished slavery, is what uh, changed economies, what formed governments and nations and cultures. Um, if we look around, we'll see that uh, it's redistributed the wealth of the rich and the poor, and it's done so much for society in general. So, is it exclusive? Yes. Is it inclusive? Yes. Third thing, can you follow Christ and simultaneously fully adhere to other systems of faith? No. Gandhi says this when he was asked if he was, if he was a Hindu. Gandhi says, yes, I am. I am a Hindu. I'm also a Christian, a Muslim, a Buddhist, and a Jew. But worldview, by its very definition of reality, because that's what a worldview is, it's how we view reality, it's how we define reality, it's how we think about reality, it's how we live out reality. Worldviews are, are inherently, if, if we're talking to different religions here, they're inherently opposed to each other, because they understand reality differently. Take Buddhism, for instance, and it's a non-theistic religion. There's no God in Buddhism. So, uh, like that's inherently different from Christianity and Islam who say that there's one God. Um, you take Hinduism and it's, it's millions of gods. That's at its core different from Christianity and Islam for the same reason. So, um, worldviews, like this, this statement by Gandhi is, is He's, he's looking at morality, not 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 a, not um, answering it through identity and, and meaning and destiny. Even. 
So C.S. Lewis says this, he says, Christianity, if false, is of no importance, and if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Let, let that sit in for a moment. Christianity, if false, what well, doesn't even matter? If it's, if it's not true, then we just throw it to the side. But if it is true, if, the, if what the Bible says is true, then it's going to change your life. And it's of infinite importance because it's, it's the reality that we should be living in. He says the only thing it cannot be is moderately true. This is where cultural and nominal Christians come in. Um, and they, like some people love, I met a guy in Toronto, um, he loves uh, the idea of Christianity, the morality of Christianity. But he's transgender, so um, he just couldn't find his identity there. So those big four questions. See, he loved Christianity for morality, but for identity, um, for meaning, he, he couldn't handle it. But Christianity doesn't do that. It's, it's either very important, infinite importance, or it's, it's not at all. It can't be, we can't have it in between. So it's not Christianity. It's something else, okay? We've done something else to it. C.S. Lewis also has this argument when he talks about Jesus, and he says, a lot of people love the teachings of Jesus. A lot of people hear, hear what Jesus has to say, and they love what he has to say, because they're, they're focusing on the moral argument on, on Jesus' morality. Um, but he says, remember, Jesus says, John 14, 6-7, he says, I'm the only way to God. He says this all throughout the Gospels, that um, he's the Messiah, you know, all, all these things. So, um, C.S. Lewis says there's, there's a trilemma here. There's three things. Either Jesus is a lunatic, either he's just crazy. So when he says these things, he's just, he's just crazy. And who would follow a, a crazy person? Um, or he's a liar. So he's just lying. He's outright lying. And who would follow someone who's, who's just lying about it? Um, or he's actually Lord. So he's either a lunatic, liar, or Lord. Um, those are our three options. We can't say, oh, Jesus was a great moral teacher, but not believe he said all these other things. So that just makes him crazy. Or we say, oh, well, he was just a liar. Well, I'm not going to follow either of those. So then he has to be Lord. So if we really think about who Jesus is, it kind of boils down to those, those three things. So if Jesus is God, if Jesus is who he says he is, then what are the implications? What does that mean that Christian? What does Christianity look like? How, how shall we live? What, is that, what does that mean for us? Christianity shows us, one, that God is knowable, and two, it shows that he's revealing himself. That's different from a lot of other faiths right off the bat. Okay? That, that, that we believe that God is knowable, and that he's revealed himself in, in the person of Jesus Christ, and, and in this book right here. So. Um, you talk to an atheist, for instance, um, we have a lot of, a few former atheists in this room. Uh, one of the, one of the biggest problems with, with, um, them believing in God, one of the biggest stumbling blocks is they just don't believe God has revealed himself or that he is actually knowable. So, um, we believe that. Christianity says that God is knowable and that, uh, he's revealed himself. So, it looks like this, uh, Ben read 2 Corinthians 13 to 14. We're going to talk about grace, the grace of Jesus, talk about the love of the Father and the fellowship of the Spirit.
we're just going to hit these kind of popcorn style. So, um, and this is this is the essence of the inclusive nature of Christianity, um, because this is what Christianity is about. Jesus came to establish the law of love. He did this in this way. And this verse that Ben read, let me read it again. It says, "The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all." This verse is. Um, it's, it's, it's a picture, and it paints like this imagery of just salvation, of, of what Jesus has done. Uh, because it's through the cross of Christ, the grace of Jesus, that mankind comes to know the love of the Father. And it's through that that we experience life of the Spirit, fellowship in the Spirit. So, the grace of Jesus. What is grace? Um, the Christian faith is very unique in talking about grace. Look at the other, the other religions. Um, we're just talking about the, the four basic ones, because really all the other offshoot, all the other cults and stuff were offshoots of the four major religions. So um, grace is uh, very unique to the Christian faith because it says that you can you can get to God by not doing anything except believing in Jesus Christ. The others, like take Islam for instance, it's it's work based. It's saying these prayers five times a day, it's um, fulfilling their, their five their five requirements. Um, uh, you look at you look at Buddhism and it's 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 working, it's taking out suffering and it's it's working, you know, taking out pain and suffering and working towards uh, nirvana and uh, same thing with, with Hinduism. We go in there, it's just a perpetual cycle. But Christianity says that it's only by grace, and grace is Basic definition is it's unmerited favor. It's favor from God that we didn't deserve, that we didn't have to do anything for. God just gives it freely. Um, and it's also, we, we define grace like this a lot of times, it's God not giving us what we actually deserve. Because if we were to think about it, we actually don't deserve the love of God because we are broken and sinful and uh, and. God, in His grace, says, still love you know, what Daniel was saying at the beginning of the service, that He can use our brokenness, make us whole, and, and use us. So, Ephesians 2, 8-9 is a scripture reference for that. Um, it says that God's, uh, we've been saved by, by, by that grace. So, it's not by works. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 10 is also, is also a reference to that. Um, let me read that to you. 1 Corinthians 15, 10 says... This is the Apostle Paul speaking after he says, he gives the gospel in a nutshell, and then he goes and he says, um, I'm the least of all apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is within me. God's grace works in you, it works through you, and as Paul is saying, it works for you. Grace is uh, a, um, a synonym that we can put in for grace is, is God's power. It's God's power working in us. Okay? Um, the love of the Father. Love in the biblical definition is, is unconditional. It's relentless. It's always pursuing. It's never forsaking. It's never giving up. It's always chasing us. That's God's type of love. It's always after us, constantly pulling us towards him, and he's chasing us. This is the type of love in John 3.16. This is one of the most 
probably the most popular verse in, in uh, the Bible. For, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, his only son. Um, and then it goes on. Uh, we we kind of misunderstand it a lot of times, where we say, for God so loved the world. We think, oh, God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus. Actually, it should be, God loved the world in this way. So God so loved the world, like, does that make sense? He so loved it. So that, we can take, take out the so for in this way. So God loved the world in this way that he gave his only son. That's how John 3.16 really should be understood. Um, so, so God loves us by giving his only son, giving Jesus, um, to die on the cross for us, to take our, our punishment, right? Mark, you close those doors. Those are kids. <laughs> they got out. <laughs> Thanks, Mark. Um, so, uh, Romans 5 says this. Um, it says, But God demonstrates his love in this way while we're still sinners, Christ died for us. So, this is the type of love. It's not that the Father just gave his only Son, but he gave his only Son when we were still sinners, when we hated God, when we said, we don't want any part of you, God, he said, I'm still going to die for you. This is the picture, this is the faith that is built on a person who dies on a cross while praying for forgiveness for the people who are nailing his hands to the cross and the people who are spitting in his face. And he's praying for their forgiveness as this is happening. Our faith is built around that kind of love. Like that's what propels Christianity forward. This is the law of love that Jesus came to establish. And that's what's so unique about our faith, guys. Matthew, uh, Jesus, when he comes in his first sermon in Matthew 5, 44, he says uh, to love your enemies, to pray for those who persecute you. And then you see him do that at the very end of his life. He loves his enemies and he prays for those who are persecuting him while they're persecuting them. Most of us, we, we read that. Um, most of us, we can read that and, and we say, okay, we're praying for those who are being persecuted and those who are persecuting those who are being persecuted. Most of us don't have any really recollection or, or experience with actually being persecuted for our faith. Um, and the most we can do is pray for those who are being persecuted and those who are persecuting those who are being persecuted. But Jesus is actually doing it. <laughs> that makes sense. Jesus is actually doing it while they're persecuting him. Uh, so, so amazing. And uh, we can trust that our brothers and sisters around the world are doing the same thing. Uh, that's what's awesome about our faith. Um, last thing, fellowship of the Spirit. This, this word for fellowship is this really intense um, community that the Spirit has. When I first this story before, I think. When I first moved to Toronto, uh, we went to sign up for a Costco membership. But I was like, we're going to need a lot of old stuff, a lot of old stuff for church. Um, so, this uh, month or two after we moved here, we went to sign up for a Costco membership. I had to fill out the application, and uh, the guy behind the counter, he's, he was uh, South Asian, and uh, he gets my, gets my sheet, and he's looking down. He had to put my occupation on there. I just put pastor, even though it was just me and my family, and we didn't have church. <laughs> I'm like, that's what I moved here for, so 
he looks, he looks up, and he's like, are you a brother in Christ? And he was like so excited, he, he said, I've never met another brother, brother in Christ in Costco before. <laughs> and he was super excited because automatically he knew that something that transcends culture and blood and race and everything is uniting us. And that's the fellowship of the Spirit. That's what the fellowship of the Spirit does. It unites us. Um, first Peter, we see what that produces. First Peter 3, 8 through 9, this is what we call the first five. Unity, humility, compassion, understanding, love. Um, we can even throw in generosity there in verse 10. Um, that this is the type of community that, uh, that just produces these things in society. Generosity, humility. It's not the only type of society that does that. I'm not saying that. There's other societies and other organizations and other, um, other communities that produce these things. But we, are, but we do that just, just by living in the spirit, guys. Just by being in the spirit and in community, these things naturally come out of us. So, Galatians 6 is also a picture of this. Galatians 6 says, Paul says, bear your own burdens. And he says, also bear one another's burdens. He says, you guys are to bear each other's burdens and, and your own. And it gives this picture of two, two people carrying a canoe. And, and like they're, they're, they're both carrying their own weight, one on the front, one on the back. But they're both carrying the same weight. They're doing it together. This is the picture of Christian community. Uh, the early church in Acts 2, 42 through 47. Uh, let me turn there and, and read that to you guys. So it says, this is the first church. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the, and, and the fellowship, same word, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they're selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, uh, they received they, they their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. That's intense Christian community that propelled the church forward. So, this is, this is a picture of the Christian faith. Grace, unmerited favor, love that's unconditional and relentless and always pursuing fellowship, community that is, that is so intense that it just automatically produces generosity and unity and humility and love and compassion and sympathy and understanding. It produces these things automatically. This is, this is what the Christian faith has to offer for our city. This is, um, and I don't know where you are in your, in your walk with, with God this morning. I don't know if you've been a believer for a long time and um, maybe you're, you're jaded a little bit, or you've been a believer for a short time and um, you're very passionate about your Christian faith, or you have, um, you know, maybe this is your first Sunday ever in, in a church. Um, Maybe you've had a bad experience with the church in the past. Um, whatever, wherever you are in life, uh, Christianity is about these things. Jesus came to say that this is what we have to offer. But he also came to say that, yes, I'm the only way to get those things. That John, this doesn't make John 14, 6 through 7, where Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Uh, it doesn't make it uh, void. 
doesn't make it, um, uh, you know, without meaning. But actually, Jesus is saying, I'm the only way to actually truly experience these things fully in a divine way in this life. You know, the early church in Acts picked this up. You know, they, I don't know if they saw Jesus on the way, but they started calling themselves the way. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll see that in the book of Acts that their, the Christian movement was referred to as the way. Um, and this is maybe because Jesus said I'm the way, but I'm thinking it's really based off of Acts 2. Like, it's because it revolutionized the way they live. It revolutionized um, everything. I mean, the poor could come in, the Gentiles could come in, uh, cultures, cultures weren't a big deal anymore. Um, uh, socioeconomic dis discrepancies weren't, weren't a big deal. We can worship together because we're all one in the spirit. And the Christian faith, the gospel, Jesus, is really, truly the only means of living out these things fully, divinely in this life. Grace, love, and fellowship. It's the only, it's really the only true means of experiencing those things in life. And if this is truly what, what Jesus was, if he's truly God incarnate, if he's calling us to these things, grace, love, fellowship, why wouldn't we want that? Why wouldn't we want to show our city these things? Why, why are you this morning, whether you're a Christian, whether you consider yourself a Christian or, or not a Christian, um, why would you reject those things? that Jesus is love and grace and fellowship. And he says that I'm, I'm the only way that these things can truly happen. Um, we're, we often become so satisfied with, with taking grace that, you know, I said this in empathy power, just being satisfied with weakness, or we're taking love and being satisfied with, with apathy. Um, we're taking fellowship and being satisfied with, with loneliness. If you're a Christian or not Christian and here this morning, if you're not yet a believer, um, you can have all those things. You can have that. That's what Jesus offers to us. For, for the Christians in here, I just want you to realize this morning the power that you have in accessing these things in the Christian faith and the responsibility we have of showcasing that to our city. I was talking to uh, Laura Oxley this past week, and she said her roommate, She's been her roommate for a while. Um, her roommate uh, just all of a sudden said, Laura, I'm not satisfied with life. I'm lonely. Um, I see that you have something, and I want it. I see that. I see the joy. I see your love. Uh, and I don't have that, and I want it. And she was just like, Jesus. <laughs> she just went into it. I, it's, I, I'm not even gonna sugarcoat it. It's, it's all Jesus. It has nothing to do with me. It's, it's all Jesus. And um, I, since then, he's been reading. He's been reading. He got a Bible. He's been reading the Bible. He's asked the Lord about about things. But he noticed something different in her life. So you, you Christians who are in here, and you, you may be struggling with relationships. You're struggling with with your friends who who don't agree with you. Um, you need to live out in this way. Us as a church, we need to live out in this way. Live out in love and, and uh, grace and community, intense community and fellowship. 
because people see that. Our city notices. Notice your coworkers notice. Your friends they notice these things and they want it. We need to showcase that to them and show them that it's through Jesus. So, and then you guys who who are just on a journey of faith are figuring out these big four questions: identity, uh, morality, meaning, destiny. Um, if you truly seek the Lord, He will be found. God promises that. If you truly seek Him, <coughs> He will be found. That's a promise. That's an awesome promise that we have from the God who created the heavens and the earth. He said if we truly seek Him, we'll find unmerited favor, we'll find unconditional love, and we'll find fellowship that is unimpeded, and all that can be yours in Christ Jesus. All right, let's pray.